0: Good evening. Um, if you would please turn to Psalm chapter 13. And if you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to grab one of those Black Pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, it's on page 490. And uh, and let's follow along together. But before I, I read, uh, I want to say a word about the Psalms. Um, we read a Psalm uh, every or a portion of a psalm every Sunday morning, and I'm really thankful for that. And um, you've probably noticed as we've gone through, because we, we just go one by one each week. We're in Psalm 119 right now, um, and uh, you've probably noticed that some of the psalms are, uh, are kind of emotionally charged. There's a lot of uh, feelings, a lot of um, strong emotions going on whenever uh, the psalmist writes down uh, from his experience. And, uh, and I think that they have a very powerful and important role in our lives as believers. And we would do well to pay attention to them, to read them often, to pray through them. Um, and so we're going to look at one tonight, and, uh, and this is one that is typical of many... Uh, many of the Psalms are, are laid out kind of like this. Uh, let's, let's read together Psalm, chapter, Psalm 13, page 490 in the Pew Bible. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Have you ever complained to the Lord? Have you ever questioned him? Um, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but, uh, but I would I think it's probably a pretty safe bet that if you've lived life on this Earth for a number of years, and if you are a believer in Christ, you have had some questions for the Lord at times. You have maybe registered some complaints. Whenever we read the Bible, sometimes we run the risk of thinking that we're going to it to escape from reality. But really, when we go to the Bible, we're going to it so that it can shape our reality. We're going to it because it is the truth that sets us straight. It it fixes our minds on the truth so that we're able to navigate through life's many twists and turns, through the darkness, through the spiritual valleys that we're going through. Sometimes we kind of forget that these words were penned by a real person with emotions and thoughts and feelings. This was penned, uh, penned, it was written in the midst of an experience of spiritual darkness for King David. this makes me thankful. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thankful that the Bible was written by people just like me. And of course we know it's inspired, it's the Word of God, but yet we find questions like these in the middle of the book of Psalms all over the place. Um, we have questions arising from a heart that is in gut-wrenching pain. Whenever we come upon Psalms like this one, it is a stark reminder that the words come out of a real person's experience. So David is in the midst of an ongoing trial, and he is writing. He's writing his complaints to the Lord. And, and this, this passage, um, this is a short psalm, it's six verses, and it's laid out very simply. Uh, each two verses kind of, there's a, there's a gear shift. So the first two verses would be David's complaint Verses 3 and 4 would be David's petition, David's request to God. And then the final two verses, verses 5 and 6, are David's praise. And if we look at this closely, we can find a model for us as we go through life's trials, ways that we can bring our requests to God in a way that honors Him, in a way that is worshiping Him. So, David begins, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's a lot of how longs. It seems like this problem has been going on for a while. He feels like God's abandoned him. He feels like God's hiding his face from him in the midst of this trial. Now, we're not exactly sure uh, what is going on in this passage, but it's important to remember that this is in the midst of a story. We see this, and, and sometimes whenever we read the Bible, we can just sort of mine it for little gems of truth, but uh, we don't need to separate it from the story that uh, that it's telling. Um, now, we don't know a lot about what's going on in David's life other than it is a heart-wrenching trial. Um, and if you've ever gone through a trial, maybe you can relate to his thoughts. How long will you forget me and hide your face from me? Have you felt this way before? How long must I store up anxious concerns within me? Whenever he says, take counsel in my soul, the Pew Bible, I think, says, how long must I store up anxious concerns within me? I like, I like that phrasing because it seems like whenever you're going through something, you just Your mind just races. It keeps going from one thing to the next. You're storing up these things and not dealing with them, these anxious concerns. Well, what about this? What about that? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? What am I going to do? And David feels this way. He's storing up these anxious concerns in his soul. He's carrying around sorrow in his heart all day long. Even whenever he's around people, around... Uh, around other people in the middle of the day, this is weighing on him heavy, heavily. Perhaps you're going through something, or perhaps you remember going through something, where you felt this way. If you haven't, or if you're not right now, uh, it is the nature of life you will. You will encounter it. So let me encourage you to pay attention to how David handles this complaint. Uh, the next one is, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, this to, uh, to a modern reader, to someone uh, like you and me, uh, I don't know, you might, you might say that you have some enemies. Um, hopefully not a lot of enemies. But, um, but for the king of Israel, King David, there were a lot of enemies at various points in his life. Some from within his own kingdom, like his son, Absalom, who rebelled against him. Um, and there were a lot of other, other kingdoms surrounding Israel that would constantly try to war against Israel, constantly try to invade. Um, and so there were a lot of enemies in, uh, in King David's life, and they, and they show up a lot during the Psalms. Uh, And in this particular section, he's saying, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like people are laughing at you, at your misfortune, at this hardship that you're going through. Um, It's comforting to know that complaints are listed in the Bible, because if you're like me, sometimes you just want to... List them out. <laughs> you just want to say, rattle them off, your complaints, one by one. Um, but notice that David's not complaining to his friend or to his, uh, his wife. He's complaining to the Lord. And I feel like um, and maybe complaining is not the best word. Maybe it's um, just expressing his anguish. But whenever we bring our problems to the Lord, sometimes we can feel like uh, like that might not be honoring to Him to register our complaints before Him. But if you're bringing your complaints before the Lord, you're saying that He can do something about it. That's honoring to Him. And, uh, and I think that there's a helpful distinction that I heard one of my professors make. And I think he was quoting John Piper. There's a difference. Uh, there, There are two broad categories of worship. One would be feasting, and the other is fainting. So whenever we feast in worship, that's whenever we go to God in the midst of our joy over our salvation, and we're thankful for what He's done for us, and we can praise Him for all of the blessings in our lives. That's feasting on God's blessings in our lives. But there's another kind of worship that I think is very honoring to the Lord, and that is fainting. Whenever you faint for His presence, whenever you go to Him as the one who alone can satisfy your soul in the midst of a trial, you're honoring Him. You're saying, you can do something about this. I trust you with these things. And that's worship. So be encouraged. If you're you're going through something, bring it to God. He's the only one that can do anything about it. We'll learn more as we go on about what He does for us in the midst of our trials, often. So we can take great comfort in the fact that these complaints are in the Bible. We can see David's anguish laid out on a page, and he's bringing it to God. We can trust God with our unedited anguish. However, a godly complaint will always give birth to prayer, will always give birth to a request. And that's what happens in this passage. Let's continue reading in verse 3. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. So, he moves on from saying, How long is this going to happen? Lord, where are you in the midst of my trial? He moves on to say, Consider my prayer, God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, this phrase, light up my eyes, this is kind of, this is kind of an interesting phrase. It, it occurs several times in the Bible. And uh, and it has a physical and a spiritual component to it. So physically, whenever you say, light up my eyes, per, perhaps he's struggling from some sort of illness, some sort of ailment. And he's asking for God's help in that. Uh, But often, whenever the phrase, light up my eyes, is used, it has a spiritual element to it. Um, It means, Lord, give me spiritual sight. Give me faith. Give me strength so that I can see things properly, so I can see things clearly. And that's what David's asking here. He's saying, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. If God doesn't enlighten our eyes, if he doesn't give us faith, eyes to see the truth, then we are doomed to just wander around in darkness. I want you to notice that uh, David gives reasons to God for why he thinks that God should answer his prayer. This is, this is interesting to me and because so many of my prayers, I just kind of list off my requests to God and I'll say, please help with this, please help this person, God, please do this. But if you notice a lot of times in the Bible, whenever someone's praying, they give reasons why God should answer the prayer. They say, according to your steadfast love, something like that. Whenever they make a request, they say, because you love me, Lord, please do this thing. Or in this case... David says, Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So, the reasons that David is asking for God to help him is so that, uh, so that he doesn't look weak, so, he, so his enemies aren't exalted over him. Now, this might seem to us, like if we were to pray this prayer, I think you uh, there's a fine line between pride and faith in the midst of this prayer. Now for King David, he is the figurehead. He is the king of Israel, God's chosen people. Now imagine if his enemies are looking at him, they're laughing at him, they're wanting him to fall, they're, they're wanting to, uh, to get some sort of victory over him. If he were to fall, what kind of damage would that do to the people of God? Now, unfortunately, we have recorded in Scripture points where David failed. But in this case, he's saying, God, keep me from, keep my enemies from being exalted over me. This is a godly request because he wants God's name to remain great in the nations and in his kingdom. So, how how might this apply for us? Because, unless I'm much mistaken, none of you are royalty. I know I'm not. Uh, uh, So, maybe one example would be maybe you work alongside unbelievers. And you know, if, if they know that you're a believer, uh, you might hear some remarks sometimes. You might hear some, maybe some jokes, some some questions. Well, you know, why are you not joining in with us doing this thing? Or why are you, why are you not laughing at that joke? Or whatever. Uh, on a small scale, uh, a smaller scale than David's, perhaps uh, the people that we work with or we're around that are unbelievers uh, might be wanting... On some level for us to fall they want to confirm in their in their minds what it means to be a believer and to say oh well that person that person failed that person uh, doesn't believe anymore so yeah that Christianity is exactly what I thought it was it's not for me um, maybe this is your situation so maybe so what might a prayer like David's look like for you maybe Whenever you're in the midst of spiritual darkness, you might pray something like, God, please strengthen my faith so that the unbelievers around me don't have to see the failure of another Christian. Protect me so that I can represent you well. That's a good prayer. That's a prayer that honors God that says, I want your fame to be great. I want your reputation to be high and lifted up. I don't want to do anything to defame your name. But at the same time, you're praying, God, please restore me. Please help me. But it's for the Lord's glory, ultimately. So we've got complaint at the beginning. Uh, David's expressing his anguish. But then it moves to petition. He moves to his request. He's saying, God, please enliven me. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. After that, he moves to praise Complaint gives way to petition, and petition leads us to praise. Read with me in verse 5. But I have trusted in Your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in Your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Notice the change from verse 1 verse 5. Notice the change that occurs in David in just a few short verses. He moves from questioning to praise. And also, I mean, this is, these are just a few verses. The situation hasn't changed yet. His situation is exactly the same as it was whenever he started writing. His problems haven't gone away. So how is he able to shift from his anguish to praise? I think that's a good question. Well, he tells us, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. David trusts in the salvation of the Lord. And if you're going to take away maybe one thing from tonight, um, take, take this away with you. This is all over the Psalms. It's all over the book of Job and other places in Scripture. We don't receive peace through a better understanding of why trials are happening and these trials that are going to pass away, we receive peace by trusting in the love of God, which never, ever passes away. That's where we receive peace. We don't need to know exactly what's going on in our bodies whenever we're sick. What we need is a cure. What we need is some medicine. And that's what David is Is saying, He's saying, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That is bigger than everything else that I'm going through. Maybe you hear that. Maybe you've heard that 10 times. You just can't find within yourself the will to to trust that. It maybe seems like cheating, it seems too easy say, well, at least I'm saved. Um, When your world is coming apart at the seams, how do you know that your hope isn't a fool's hope? The reason is because the God that we pray to is almighty, creator of heaven and earth, but he's also a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In the midst of our suffering, we might cry out, God, why have you forgotten me? But it was our Master hanging on the cross that cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? We are never forsaken because Jesus was forsaken in our place. Though we may feel shrouded in darkness, it is nothing to the darkness that shrouded our Lord as He hung from the tree bearing the weight of our sins. This is why we have an unshakable hope. This is why we can trust Him. Because Christ was abandoned so that we could be found, so that we could be known and loved. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He took on our sin, so that we could take on His righteousness. He has given us every reason to trust Him. If you doubt, take a look at the cross. He gave up His very life for us. Romans 8.32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son for us, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? This is a God we can trust. He gave up His own Son for us. We can take our complaints and our requests to Him. This is a God who will never leave us nor forsake us because He bought us with His own precious blood. Perhaps you are in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a trial. Maybe your world seems like it's coming apart at the seams. I urge you, follow David's example. Trust him. Praise him for the steadfast love that he shows you. Because no matter what goes away in your life, no matter what props are being kicked out from under you, we have a secure hope in the Lord. If you're not in the midst of darkness now, you one day will be. I urge you to trust Him. Follow David's example. Sing to the Lord, for He has dealt bountifully with you. Let's pray. Father, we love You. Lord, we, we trust You. God, we thank You that You've given us reasons to trust You. It's not a blind hope that we have, but it's, it's hope-based on Your love for us that we see so powerfully at the cross of Christ. Lord, I ask that You would help us to be f- filled with faith and trust in the midst of our trials whenever all everything seems like it's coming apart. Lord, we ask for Your grace to uphold us in those times. Lord, we thank You for Your Word to us.